Amen, fam. So if you have been with us for a while, you know that we're in the middle of, well, actually, we're not in the middle anymore. We're at the end. This is actually the last sermon um, in the, the Christ Community and, and Culture series. And so what I wanted to do is take a moment and remind us where we've been. Um, if you've been with us for the past five weeks, uh, you've, you've known that we've taken some intentional time to say, how, how does Christ engage this community, the culture that we live in? Um, and some specific avenues that we looked at, we looked at, uh, I don't know if you remember, uh, Nate Egger preached first. He opened up the series on kingdom focus, and he really sat back and said, asked us, do we have a kingdom mindset? Um, do the things that we do advance Christ's rule and reign in this community? And he challenged us to, to focus on making Christ known um, by living out of that kingdom mindset. And so that really started off the, the series. Um, and then Leon preached for four weeks. Praise God for, for Leon taking us through some pretty big topics, some pretty difficult topics to, to talk through. But we, he first brought up this idea of distractions um, and what is distracting us from or hindering us from being used by God. And he, he asked us to examine our hearts and to see, do we have filters um, inside of our hearts, inside of our minds, that we see certain people and, and reach out to them and others and we don't? Um, and he, he really challenged us to think through um, how we make friends, how we um, use our free time to reach out for Christ. Um, and then he went on actually the next series to talk even more about that and, and kind of even talked about these two, um, these two sides of the same coin, which is when we're serving Christ and when we're seeking to tell others about him and building friendships, do we build friendships over um, avenues that we can relate over and, and we just kind of hang out and maybe work on cars together? Or do we, do we share Christ and do we have just kind of missional relationships where we don't really do much together, but we always talk about Christ? And he really challenged us to, th to think and say, what, um, are we being holistic in the way that we approach evangelism um, in the gospel? Um, and then the fourth week um, was proclamation in context. Um, I think that was the week that I was in Nova Scotia, so forgive me. But we examine how we can advance the gospel in all contexts, all situations. I think Leon talked about, unlike the Pharisees who excluded themselves from certain crowds and communities, um, how can we engage with all for the sake of the gospel? And so again, really hitting at and asking ourselves, are there people that I'm overlooking? Maybe it's not intentional, but it's just because of my past or my upbringing and there's certain people that I just don't hang out with. And, uh, and not to say, again, this, this series is not about marking more things off the checklist. And, but it's really about engaging our own hearts and asking these hard questions and seeing if there is sin in our hearts um, that would hinder us from uh, sharing the gospel in our community and engaging our culture. And then we went on to a series on uh, racial reconciliation. And uh, in that, uh, Leon did a great job of talking about the root of racism is sin, um, first and foremost, and that there is no cure for, um, for racism apart from um, trusting Christ and moving towards unity in the way that, that Christ offers unity through the gospel, and that racial reconciliation is not possible without Jesus but neither is any other form of reconciliation. And so he made it clear that it's not, this isn't just a race issue, but it's a reconciliation issue in general. But the race issue is huge in our community, and so it can't be overlooked. And last week we heard from uh, Chris Veltman, um, a neighboring, and uh, he talked a lot about um, understanding mercy and um, showing the love of Christ to our neighbors uh, is a command from the Lord, and that's rooted in this, this idea of mercy. Um, and we ought to meditate and reflect on what God's mercy towards us um, and how that allows us to engage our neighbors in a meaningful way. Um, so that's where we've been over the past five weeks. 
And uh, as we thought about closing out the sermon and moving on to more of a focused study on, on Christ and his different attributes, we thought, what's the glue? What, what allows us and empowers us to engage our culture? We, we talked through a lot of things that can hinder us, sin, and, uh, and allowed us to check our hearts in a lot of ways. Um, but today, we really said, man, we need, to, uh, we need to remember the power that God gives us to do this, to neighbor, to engage culture in this community. And that would be His Holy Spirit. And so, what we're going to dive into today, everybody, um, with the amount of time that we have, is who is the Holy Spirit? And how does he help us to engage our neighbors? Um, so take notes. Um, fam, I, I know that uh, the Holy, we don't often get just a full sermon on the Holy Spirit. I feel like he's talked about a lot. <laughs> um, but we really wanted to uh, renew our minds a little bit. If you're in discipleship, this is some of the information that you may have talked about in discipleship relationships. Um, the document on the Holy Spirit. I want to try to expand and broaden on that just a little bit this morning. And apply it specifically to this idea of engaging our community and culture. How does, how does the Holy Spirit enable us to do that? I wanted to start with uh, um, just a, a story. And um, this is a story that I heard when I was on staff with Campus Crusade. Uh, the president at that time, who has since passed away, uh, Bill Bright, um, shared this a lot as he talked about the Holy Spirit. He said, in West Texas is a famous oil field known as Yates Pool. During the Depression, this field was a sheep ranch owned by a man named Yates. Talk at the name. Uh, Mr. Yates was not able to make enough money on his ranching operation to pay the principal and interest on his mortgage. So he was in danger of losing the ranch. With little money for clothes or food, his family, like many others, had to live on government subsidy. Day after day, he grazed his sheep over those rolling West Texas hills. He was no doubt greatly troubled about how he would be able to pay his bills. Then a seismograph crew from an oil company came into the area and told Mr. Yates that there might be oil on his land. They asked permission to drill a wildcat well, and he signed a lease agreement. At 1,115 feet, they struck a huge oil reserve. The first well came in at 80,000 barrels a day. Many subsequent wells were made, uh, were made more than twice as large. In fact, 30 years after the discovery, the government test um, on one of the wells showed that it still had the potential to flow 125,000 barrels of oil a day. And Mr. Yates owned it all. The day he purchased the land, he received the oil and mineral rights. Yet he was living on relief. A multimillionaire living in poverty. The problem, he did not know the oil was there. He owned it, but did not possess it. And so, I think that's a pretty amazing story about this reality of uh, actually having something, but not using it. <laughs> or not, um, and, and, and the reality is, family, the, the analogy that I'm trying to make here is that when we say yes to Jesus, when we give our lives to him, God gives us his Holy Spirit to come and live within us. Now, many of us, we might not know what that means. Um, we might not have studied the scriptures about what the Holy Spirit's role is. And so we're going to talk more about that this morning. But my, my presupposition from the very beginning is that the most valuable of all resources um, has been given us. And that's God himself through the power of his Holy Spirit. And we have access to God. Um, and he is the one who empowers us to be on mission and to impart um, uh, his truth, his grace, his mercy, his love to the community around us. But how exactly does he do that? So we're going to look at a passage of scripture here in John 16, verses 7 through 15. So if you uh, can turn there with me, um, if you need a Bible, um, raise your hand and someone in the back will give you a Bible so you can follow along. If not, the text is up here. But I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I am going away. 
Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going uh, to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make known to you. So family, this is, uh, again, this is John 16, 7 through 15. And it's one of, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. This, similar to the, uh, the Great Commission, which we talk about so often in, in Mac Ave, our, our call to be disciples and building disciples in this community. Um, it's a similar context in the sense that this is Jesus before um, he knows that he's about to die for the sins of the world, and he's, he's training, he's empowering these, these disciples, these 12 disciples, to carry on uh, the mission of God, bringing God's kingdom here on earth. And as he's doing that, he's, he's saying, guys, it's actually better that I go so that the counselor, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God himself, can come and lead you and guide you. And there's, there's, there's three ways in particular. Um, well, actually, before we get into those three ways from, in particular, I want to point out one thing from this text that I think is often overlooked. And this is, this is really big, family. So please, if you, um, you're daydreaming, just, just try your best to, to focus. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit is the promised presence of God in our lives. The scriptures use a personal pronoun for the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you noticed that. There's a number of times, um, if we go back to the text. But I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counsel will not come. But if I go, I will send him. Okay, so there's one personal pronoun. When he, there's another, comes. He, another one. And so as you continue through this passage, there are numerous personal pronouns. And again, if you're not a, a linguistic major and haven't studied uh, English a whole lot, you might think that's not a real big deal. But this is very intentional by the author. The author could have put it, which is just a more common um, pronoun describing a subject matter at hand. But the author doesn't. The author says he, him. Um, so you're saying, okay, Eric, that doesn't seem like a big deal. But but this is a huge deal because in it and other places in the scripture, we're seeing that the Holy Spirit is not a force field. The Holy Spirit is not um, just a, uh, a big ball of God's divine power. Uh, the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. Sure, he may not come, have come down on earth as Jesus did, and fully identify with humanity by being in the form of fleshly man, he's still a person. Yes, he's invisible. He lives in us. I know you're thinking, Eric, that's over my head. <laughs> I, can't, I can't personally fathom a person living inside of me. I know, because that's part of the mystery of God. We can't understand everything that God does perfectly. That's because he's God. And we're humans. We can't understand him fully. But I'm telling you, the scriptures are telling us really clearly that the Holy Spirit is a person. And why does that matter? Because you and I know how to interact with people. We know how to interact with a person. We don't know how to interact with a force field. We don't know how to interact with a ball of energy that's divine. Um... But family, I think all too often we as believers, we, we just kind of, we know that the Holy Spirit's there. We know that he's doing something, but we don't interact with him like he's a, a person. Um, and we're going we're gonna to clarify that a little bit more, but why that's so important. Because there's 
again, if he's our guide, if, if the scriptures are saying he's the one that's going to guide us and lead us into all truth, as, as that, that passage said, then it's pretty important that we know how to interact with him. Um, and, and again, we're going we're gonna to outline that a little bit more. Let me continue on. Okay, so again, why? Because he's personal. We can know him personally. I always laugh when Eric says this thing's hard to use. It really is. It does not click. Okay. So, the counselor. And again, getting at this, uh, this counselor aspect, uh, the Greek word for counselor literally means one called alongside to help. So, um, similar to our context of a counselor that you might go and see who helps us in life, the biblical authors are using this word um, because he actually comes alongside of us to help. And uh, why did he come? Verse 8 says that he came to convict the world of sin and their own righteousness and to show them God's righteousness. And so this is huge, family. So as, as you're going about your life and you've said yes to Christ, so the Bible says that you have been given this gift of the Holy Spirit, you're going on about your life and you're at the grocery store and somebody takes the last head of lettuce right before you and you get mad and you lose your temper. Say, I need that head of lettuce for dinner tonight. Okay, my analogies are weak. But anyway, you sin. You get mad in your anger. You yell at somebody. I don't know. And I can go, I mean, the sky's the limit for sin analogies. You guys can fill in the blank with a sin analogy. But you're walking out of the store and all of a sudden you feel really bad. And you're like, man, I, I sinned, Lord. You told me in the scriptures, not, in, in, in anger, do not sin. I did. I, I didn't control myself. That's the Holy Spirit working in you to convict you of sin. That's not, that's not your own conscience. <laughs> that if you're a Christian today, that's not yourself telling you that. That's God telling you that. You get in a fight with your wife or your best friend, and afterwards, you want nothing more to go and apologize. That's not because you're a nice person. That's the Holy Spirit in you saying, I'm convicting you of sin. And our response, if we believe in Jesus, is to say, praise God that you convicted me of sin. I confess of it. I'm going to confess to my brother, and I'm going to move on. The, the Holy Spirit doesn't point a finger at us and, and, and judge us. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin so that we confess it and move on. And again, he's a person living inside of you. Remember that context. Guide us in truth. Um, now, I know this might seem very vague and general. Okay, there's lots of truth out there. But let's, let's make this practical. So you're reading the Bible, you're studying the scriptures, and all of a sudden a verse comes to life like it never has before. And you're like, oh, I get it. I get what the author was trying to say here. Again, that's not because you went to seminary or didn't go to seminary. Or you read a commentary. or No, that's the Holy Spirit revealing God's truth to you. He actually does that. He, I, I don't know how he does it. I don't know the makeup of the human mind. But the Holy Spirit actually teaches us truth and allows it to penetrate our hearts. Um, I often use, and my disciples would know this, I often use this analogy um, because... It's, it's meant a lot to me, but so imagine with me that you are flying in an airplane over the Sahara Desert and uh, you're wearing a suit. You just got out of a business meeting. Okay, just flow with me for a minute. And you parachute out and you drop down in the Sahara Desert and all you are, you're in your suit. I mean, maybe you've got your cell phone on you, but you have no materials or gear that you would need to survive in this climate. You're absolutely helpless, right? I want to liken that to the Christian faith apart from the Holy Spirit. And now, same situation, but all of a sudden, as soon as you hit the ground, this guy rolls up in a Jeep. He throws you a new set of clothes. He's got water. He's got food. He's got a map. He knows where you're going. Bam, you jump in the Jeep with him, and you guys are off. That's the empowered, spirit-filled life for a Christian. Did you hear me there? It's... And that's what's been given to us. And again, I don't want to make it sound as though there's some weird method that you have to go through to get that power. <laughs> no, it has happened. We received the power of the Holy Spirit by the same way we came to Christ, by faith, by believing in Him. 
And he also has come to bring glory to Jesus. And uh, again, guys, this is key. Because um, this is one of the reasons why at MacAv and, and hopefully other biblically-based churches, we, we don't sit around, we don't sing songs of worship to the Holy Spirit, we don't pray to the Holy Spirit necessarily. It's not like it's sin. <laughs> um, but we pray to Jesus, we give glory to Jesus, because Jesus himself told us that the Holy Spirit role, his role is to give glory to Jesus. Because he's the one that sacrificed his, his body on the cross for our sins. And so when we talk about glory, which may, basically is a term that talks about describing worth, saying, Jesus, you are worthy. We don't sit around and say, oh, Holy Spirit, you are so worthy. He is because he's God, but the glory goes to Jesus. Do you see the difference there? Um, and, and, and many, many well-meaning Christians have gotten off the path of biblical Christianity because they ran down trails of focusing only on worshiping the Holy Spirit and what, the, what his power could do in their lives. And I'm not subscribing to that at all this morning. The Holy Spirit uh, came to glorify Christ. Yet he is a very real personal force in our bodies, in, our, in ourselves, as we go to live the Christian life. Does that make sense, Fadi? Um, and so we're going we're to get to how does this apply to our community. But I really want us to understand, like, this is the role of, of the Holy Spirit. This is what you've been given. Uh, that's why it's often talked about as the gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Gifts are usually a good thing. <laughs> it's not a burden of the Holy Spirit. No, this is a gift that he's come to convict you of sin, to guide you into all truth, and to bring glory to Jesus. And that's not an exhaustive list. There are other passages in Scripture that talk about more roles that the Holy Spirit does, but uh, we don't have time to go into all those this morning. I mean, one more, one more quick one that I did want to hit, because it is crucial with neighboring. Uh, Romans 8, 26 and 27, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who search our heart, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. That's a, that's a powerful passage. I think it's actually been preached on a number of times at MacAv. Uh, e. Russ has mentioned this verse before, and he's reminded us that um, this isn't a text about speaking in tongues. The Greek word for groans there is not spiritual tongues. Um, this is a text that talks about how basically when you and I pray, uh, and we oftentimes, we're human, and so we oftentimes worry and we wonder, God, did I pray for the right thing? Did I say it right? Lord, I don't know your will all the time. Did I, am I praying right? No. God is saying, have confidence. Another role of the Holy Spirit is he actually changes and hooks up, as Eric Russ would say, he hooks up your prayer and presents it to the Father in a, in a way that it can be answered. Um, and how does that affect us? That should encourage us to pray about everything and anything. Because we have one who goes on our behalf to the Father, the Holy Spirit. Does it make sense that as you're praying for your neighbors, as you are, um, yeah, praying in general, the Holy Spirit uh, intercedes on our behalf? Robin, Alan, Mike. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, both the words that we can express and can't express. I mean, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I've heard Eric Russ before say, uh, I mean, he cracks me up. He's, you know, sometimes all you have is a, mm, and the Holy Spirit can hook that up and communicate that, that need to the Father. And, and yeah, very, I mean, and just as well as a very articulate um, prayer, uh, yeah, the Holy Spirit actually intercedes on our behalf. He not only shows us God's truth, but he allows us to communicate with the Father. Uh, those are a couple of his main roles. And again, roles that are huge for neighboring, um, which we'll get to here. 
Uh, so, yeah, this was a quote that um, prayer is not a leisure time activity. Matters of life and death, salvation and judgment, suffering and justice, peace and war, recrimination and reconciliation are being worked out in our families and among our neighbors all the time in our nation and the world all the time. That's by Eugene Peterson. And, and family, I hope you, you get the gravity of this. There are <laughs> life and death issues going on all around us in our community. All around us. Um, are we praying for those? Are we laboring um, and asking them? Are we, are we treating prayer in family? I am I'm the first to confess uh, that I do not often treat prayer with the necessity that it, that it needs to be treated with. And that's why, as a family, we've been talking about this this morning, but we need to continue to encourage each other. We need to be praying, a praying body uh, that is trusting the Lord for uh, redemption, release of strongholds in our community. Um, we can't do it in our own strength, family. We have a lot of really, really talented, gifted individuals Tons of gifts in this body. But those gifts are to be used through the power of the Holy Spirit, not through our own power. And, it, it, and a key indicator in my life <laughs> is if you're getting worn out, if you're getting easily angered as you're trying to serve, you're probably doing it in your own strength. And that's okay. Stop, confess it, and ask the Holy Spirit to lead you. And, and again, I'm not saying this is a this isn't a once a Sunday opportunity. This is a um, as one of my mentors in, in Campus Crusade. It's a moment by moment thing. I can confess sin and go and sin five minutes later. <laughs> and I know you guys do, too. <laughs> this is a moment by moment thing. We all too often think I've sinned and therefore this day is shot. I got to wait till my next prayer time at night. No, <laughs> the Holy Spirit silently whispering to you, confess. And I'm gonna I'm gonna show you a neat analogy here in a minute. Um. So, but before we get to that analogy, the uh, the outcome. And so, we've talked about the whole how Jesus came and he he taught on this counselor the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, and what He would do in the lives of believers. Well, this isn't just something that we have to think about and wonder what actually happened. We saw what happened in the early church. I'm going to read an excerpt of Scripture here from Acts 2. This is an example of the early church, um, our brothers and sisters in Christ, as they were serving. God, this is, this is actually a portion of a, a sermon that Peter, the apostle, the disciple Peter gave um, right after Pentecost, which is the time when the Holy Spirit actually uh, came into the lives of believers. I know you're saying, wait a minute, I thought you got the Holy Spirit when you could be a Christian. This is different because in this historical time period, the Holy Spirit, they didn't need the Holy Spirit when they were with Jesus. Jesus died, he went to be with the Father, and then he gave the Holy Spirit to the disciples. And everybody after that became a Christian got the Holy Spirit immediately when they came to faith. There wasn't this time delay. They were just a unique situation. Does that make sense? So God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So again, he's preaching. He's preaching to a crowd of people. Many of them were there when Jesus was crucified and were probably ranting, crucify him. Then the people heard this. They were cut to the heart and said, Peter, and to the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is, the promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. 
With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to the number on that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So again, my argument is not that Peter was an amazing preacher. My argument is not that that the disciples did it right. No. We have this recorded in Holy Scriptures to see what happens when the Holy Spirit empowers somebody. The Holy Spirit filled them and allowed them to communicate truths that they couldn't communicate otherwise to people that wouldn't have heard otherwise. Do you believe that God wants to use you in this community to do that very same thing? As you're sharing the gospel, are you saying, Holy Spirit, lead me? I don't know what to say. (laughs) But would you say it through me? Would you communicate God's truth to this person? That's the kind of trust that glorifies Jesus and brings salvation to people. So how does this practically play out? Being filled with the Spirit is the goal. I am controlled by Christ because the word filling means to be controlled. If I am controlled, not as a robot, but as one who is led and empowered by the Spirit, the Lord Jesus will walk in my body and live his resurrected life in and through me. So this mystery that we've been talking about, again, this is not because you read the, you got up and had a quiet time. This is not because you didn't sin for a couple of hours. no. Family, we are, we are controlled when we ask for it, when we submit to Christ. And there's an analogy here that I want to share that has been really helpful for me. I've shared it with my disciples. Um, and I keep forgetting which slide it's going to be at. And apparently it's not at the next slide. So I'm just going to say it. So there's something called uh, spiritual breathing. And some of you have, it's probably in our, I'm pretty sure it's in our Holy Spirit, Spirit-filled document. Um, but the analogy is just this. Just as we physically have to inhale oxygen every, I don't know, how many times do we breathe every minute? Three, four times a minute to gain oxygen so that we can live, so that we can have being. The Holy Spirit, um, when we we Inhaling spiritually is basically reminding ourselves of God's truths and submitting to Christ. And the exhaling, so we, then we, right after we inhale, we exhale carbon dioxide, which is harmful to our bodies, which does not cause or bring about life. Well, the exhale in spiritual breathing is confessing sin. And so it should be an ongoing, almost to the point we want to learn how to, just like our bodies automatically breathe for us, we want to get in such a habit of, of, of inhaling Jesus and his truth and submitting to the Holy Spirit and exhaling, confessing sin, and then re-breathing in Christ. Just, it just goes in a circle. Does that make sense? I feel like I'm not articulating it clearly. But it's this constant circle of, Am I um, trusting Christ, submitting to him, confessing sin? Trusting Christ, submitting to him, confessing sin. If you think the spiritual life changes at some point, you've got Christianity messed up. (laughs) That is the continual um, life-giving method for being a Christian. (laughs) I don't know how better to say it. Submit to Christ... Renew our minds, confess sin. So, hindrances to this process. This is very real in our community. So, lack of knowledge, which I mentioned already. 
Some of us just don't know that the Holy Spirit even exists. Some of us are like that Mr. Yates in the initial story that I read that um, are living in spiritual poverty because we don't realize that the Holy Spirit is in us. And we're trying to do it in our own strength. We're trying to raise sheep when we've got millions of dollars of oil under our ground. Family, study these scriptures. Hear the proclamation today. We've been given the Holy Spirit. If, you've been, if you have submitted your life to Christ, you've been given the Holy Spirit. Unconfessed sin. Huge mediator of, again, family. When you sin against your friend, your spouse, someone that's close to you, you experience a break in the relationship when you sin, right? There's, whether that comes across in anger temporarily, whether it costs distance, there's a, there's a break in fellowship. There's a break in that relationship. I mean, your, your relationship is still solid if you're married. <laughs> and uh, hopefully if you're best friends with somebody. But there's, there's a temporary outage in that relationship. The same thing happens when we sin with our relationship with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that we can hurt the Holy Spirit. If you're sitting there doing work late at night on the computer and all of a sudden there's temptations to go and look at pornography or there's temptations to go and abuse substances and we give in, we've offended. We've said, Holy Spirit, not right now. We've offended him. And so the Holy Spirit's a gentleman. He's not going to force himself on us. So sweet. You, you do your thing. I'm here, though. I'm not leaving you. But the Holy Spirit is, is hurt when we sin. Does that make sense, family? And so when we confess our sin, relationship is restored. When we say, Jesus, I confess my sin. I want to live uh, by faith and obedience to your scriptures. Our relationship with the Holy Spirit is renewed. And that's why it's so important to spiritually breathe throughout the day. And there's some sin um, that we, we're just holding on to. We know it's there in our lives. Um, so it's a room of our life, so to speak, that we just don't want to deal with. Family, I want to encourage you this morning. Confess that sin. Don't hold on to it. That very well could be putting a divide in between you and what the Holy Spirit wants to do with your life. Again, I'm not saying that we're ever going to be perfect, family. But if, there's, if, but if we know that there's sin in our lives that we, for whatever reason, fear, hardened hearts, we just don't want to let go of, maybe we think that God can never change us, so we just, God, you can have all of me but this. That's a roadblock in accessing this power that the, the Holy Spirit wants to give you. And I'm telling you, family, that power is ten times more rewarding and enriching than any sin could ever be. I just don't want that to be a roadblock in what Christ wants to do in your lives or my life. And, and, and lastly, not trusting. Some of us, it's just a, it's a, I got this, God. I've done this a hundred times before. Lord, I got this. And so whether, whether it's intentionally not trusting him or unintentionally, there's still a, a breakdown in trust there. As a, as, a, as a faithful believer in Christ, we're called uh, to trust moment by moment, to put our faith in Jesus moment by moment. And, and I think, again, I think this is the one that probably um, affects us the most as a body because we, again, are a very gifted, talented body. I mean, I was watching all of you yesterday at the outreach and I saw... Amazing conversations going on, amazing coaching, amazing food prep. I mean, people were being loved and experiencing what the family of God was like. Family, don't get comfortable in our own strength. It'll limit God and what he wants to do in this community. We need to continue to say, God, I'm going to walk over to that guy right now. Feel me. I don't know what I'm going to say. I trust you. 
I'm going to serve this hot dog and in, in faith. <laughs> I mean, no task is too small to trust Christ with. Um, confess pride. Confess arrogance. And lack of trusting. Oh, there's my spiritual breathing. So spiritual breathing, just as you exhale and inhale physically, so you also breathe spiritually. You exhale spiritually when you confess your sins, and you inhale spiritually when you yield to Christ and remember his word, which I said earlier. just want that to be such a common, a common paradigm in our lives that we're constantly spiritually breathing. Not just when there's an outreach, not just when we're trying to engage a neighbor, um, but all the time, family. Um, we're going to close here. And uh, it's funny, I felt like I wanted to share this story earlier. And um, when I, I'm going to share a story about an experience that I had doing this. Um, but I don't want to say that it's you know, special circumstances that you only need to do this. Okay, we've, I've been saying throughout this, this sermon that spiritually breathing takes place all the time. But uh, when I was thinking... How can I encourage? How can I exhort the body? This memory came to mind about a time when I really experienced um, Christ's filling and leading. So I wanted to share that with you. But again, I don't want to make it sound as though it only happens under really extraordinary circumstances. Do you hear me there? This is, again, this is a moment-by-moment thing. But it was a time where I look back and I just remember very vividly uh, the Holy Spirit leading me. Um, and some of you know my, my past before... Uh, uh, before I met my amazing wife, Kelty, that I was actually engaged to another woman um, well before I met Kelty, four years prior. Um, Christian girl, loved the Lord. Uh, her name was Kelly. She was from Texas. And um, we, uh, I decided to, to end that, um, that engagement um, about a month, three weeks before we were supposed to get married. And it was the hardest thing that I'd ever done in my life to, uh, to undergo um, and, and follow through with, with breaking up with this relationship. I mean, the wedding was paid for. You guys can understand. You guys bought where you guys are at right now. I know there's no cold feet over here, though. Um, and I, I, it's a whole other sermon to talk through other things that were going on in my heart and my life at that time. But I, I basically um, had been convicted by the Holy Spirit and confirmed by some close friends that I needed to go through with this very, very, very difficult thing. I was in Michigan, and so um, I hadn't slept since the Lord had graciously revealed what I needed to do. Um, so it had been probably about 48 hours of no sleep. And uh, I found myself early morning on an airplane. Um, it was my return flight that I was supposed to use for the wedding. And I, I changed it to this date two weeks prior. And I just called her on the phone and said, hey, I want to talk to you. Can you pick me up at the airport the next morning? And, of course, <laughs> it's not an easy conversation. Um, but I got on that airplane. And uh, on that three-hour flight down to Texas, I was just journaling. I was reading God's Word. And I was sitting next to a businessman who was flying down for probably just a business meeting of some kind. And... And as I'm sitting there again, almost shaking half the time with this reality of what I was about to do, uh, the Lord opened up an opportunity to share Christ with this, this businessman next to me. And I remember proclaiming uh, the gospel really clearly and thinking, wow, how did I proclaim that so clearly when in the midst of all that's messed up going through my mind right now, I can barely think straight, and yet this guy is understanding and hearing the gospel. Um, and then the flight ended. And to be honest with you, I don't remember the gentleman's full response. Um, but we went our separate ways. And I remember, uh, again, jumping back into what was going on in my life and thinking, wow, like this is what it means to be so quick to confess sin and walk with the Lord. Like I, I, I know that God was leading me and guiding me in that conversation. Um, and again, family, I want to exhort you not to just trust the Lord and depend on Him fully under hard, hard situations. That's not what I was trying to communicate in the story. I think it's easier <laughs> when everything else has been stripped away, when we really have to rely on Christ. It's actually harder when we're just going through the norm, normalcy of life. 
Um, but, I, but that was just an experience, and there's been many more since then. But, uh, but this, this feeling, I want, I want, this feeling and empowering of the Holy Spirit is very real. Um, and, and the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, family. So again, I want to exhort you not to do this in your own strength. The Christian life is not meant to be lived in our own strength. So family, our role, some next steps. Uh, I want to encourage you to make a list of neighbors if you haven't done that already. I know some of our, our talks, uh, our breakout sessions at the retreat, we talked about this. Um, but make a list of some of your neighbors. I know even uh, one person at MacAv made a drill of a map and put houses on this map and put the name of each family member or person that they met at that house so that we can be praying, trusting that the Lord will, will use those prayers that the Holy Spirit will, will lead us as we pray for our neighbors. And next, um, practice walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so again, this is what I've been talking about with the, um, the, the spiritual breathing. Practice that, family. Practice under your... I don't know how you start disciplines in your life, but in my life, sometimes I just have to stop <laughs> every, every five minutes and say, okay, have I spiritually breathed lately? <laughs> it might seem... Um, yeah, it might seem like training wheels for Christianity or something, but it's not. This is, this is how serious this process needs to be in our life. Practice walking in the power of the Holy Spirit and joyfully spend time out in our community, trusting that the Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us. Uh, I pray, family, that you're not experiencing this as a burden. I pray that it's not, oh, I got back out, continues to ask if I'm, my disciples asking me if I'm out in the community. Uh, I'm so busy. How can I do this? Start, start setting time, saying, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust you and I'm going to joyfully go out um, and meet people in the community. And it doesn't have to be for hours at a time. It can be five minutes a day. Engage, family. Let the Holy Spirit that's in you engage the community. Uh, this is a very real scripture talking about don't hide a lamp under a bucket or under a bowl. No, you want to present it on a hill so that everybody around it can see. Give, give the Holy Spirit, believe God, trust God that He wants to speak through you as you engage our community through the power of the Holy Spirit. See? Well, I think I think first and foremost, so Caleb's asking, how do I joyfully do this, or how does someone joyfully do this if you're experiencing the opposite, if you if you do see it as a burden more practically? Um, I mean, first thing I want to suggest is is really praying and asking the Lord to give you joy as you do it. That's a, a very practical first step. Say, Lord, give me joy in this. I wanna I wanna trust you. I wanna experience you. I know I'm not right now. You um, know, just from a personal standpoint. Um, when I free up time in my schedule to, to go and mow my lawn or to trim my bushes, um, and I'm just enjoying some time out in the community doing things that I still need to do, um, and neighbors walk by, um, which in our neighborhood, let's be honest, when we're out in the community, usually people will either walk by or, um, or you'll find yourself having three or four conversations when you didn't plan on it. And so I would say just practically be out doing things that you enjoy in the community. So maybe it's not setting, I'm going to go out and evangelize for five hours today. Maybe it's, I'm going to go and play basketball. I'm going to go and ride my bike. I'm going to go and do something that I enjoy in the community filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, and I'm not saying that we never set specific times to go evangelize. No, I think that's, there's a need for that. Um, but, but, be, but really be asking the Holy Spirit, Lord, lead me in this. Allow me to have fun. Um, and maybe if you're like, if you're just like, man, I just, maybe it's just my own timidity or I'm just shy and it's just not fun for me. Um, do it with groups. I know this summer we, we try to do our best to share when 
our Mac groups are on mission. You know, our Mac group had a movie night this past um, this past Friday night. Um, some people showed up from outside of my Mac group. I loved it. Um, it. That's a great opportunity to share. I mean, we we had people in the community that I would have never thought would have come to hang out. <laughs> um, and I would love to have Mac averages come and just ask questions and just. And I know that's going on throughout the week um, in our community, and we're going to try to make that more and more known through the weekly emails. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, so Caleb's saying, well, just joy in general in the community. Um, that's a hard question, Caleb, because, uh, I mean, I want to I challenge us in our thinking, like, I don't, hopefully we're asking the right questions, because I don't think we come here purposely saying, I'm going to enjoy this community. Uh, I think there's very few of us that are like, man, I love abandoned houses. Maybe some of you are like that. Very few of us are like, man, I just love seeing drug deals go down out front of my house. Or I just, you know, there are things in our community um, that uh, that are hard to see and make us want to flee. Our neighbors want to flee. People want to get out of here. <laughs> and so it's... It, I hope we're not asking the question, like, how can I beautify my community so much that I enjoy it? I mean, that's, that's, that's a valuable thing to do. But I think it has to come from the Holy Spirit giving us passion to reach people. Um, not that we turn a blinder to things that we see in our community. Uh, but that's why, I mean, that's even the reason why we come here on Sunday mornings. This isn't just a church service that we're trying to pull off. But we're here to remind one another that, guys, we're doing this together. There's a greater call uh, the gospel proclamation in this community, um, God wants to use us in. And he said that he would provide joy as we do that. And so we need to trust him for that. Um, so I need to, if we, we can talk more, Caleb, afterwards. Uh, if that didn't fully answer your question, we need to move on to a time of um, tithe and then communion. And so if uh, the servers can get ready, um, we're going to move on.